Welcome back to the podcast, Change the Block. I am your host, Nathan Farley. I'm currently sitting in Atlanta, Georgia at the Blue House. It is an Airbnb in the heart of Midtown. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for all of you who decided to listen to the first podcast. And shout out to my friend Jimmy who bought me a good mic so that I'm actually um, have a good quality mic and uh, I'm able to do this podcast again. Uh, so I'm sitting here with two incredible people. Uh, Jared Stacy is here on my right. He is the college pastor at Spotswood. And Vince Edivan is here on my left. Yeah, what am I? He, he's a fantastic man who cooks <laughs> like no one else. <laughs> Best shrimp and grits ever. <laughs> ever. So yes, I, I shrimp and grits for you. I don't like shrimp, and I eat shrimp tonight. That's right. So that's yeah. a pretty big deal. That was a win. Anyone who knows me knows if Nathan's eating shrimp, it's because someone good made it. Okay. I'll take <laughs> uh, it. <laughs> so we are in Atlanta because the college ministry of Spotswood decided to go on a, a trip here to help a church plant, a church called M28. stands for Matthew 28 uh, with, their, with the Great Commission. Um, and so they've been here for about five, six years. And so we're here helping them for the week. Uh, like I said, uh, Vince has actually been the chef for us this week. We've been focused on Southern cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we've had, I mean, what's been the list of food we've had this week? Uh, well, we started off the, the, when we got here, I went traditionally Italian because that is my wheelhouse. So <laughs> our first night we had a, uh, a spaghetti and meatballs. Everything was homemade, obviously. And, uh, and then we had, we had chicken and waffles one night. Uh, we had, like they said, that we had the shrimp and grits tonight. Yeah. Um, sweet tea. Oh, we had lots of sweet tea. Lots of sweet that's tea. That's right. We had lots of sweet tea. What else did we have? We did those. Pork butt. Oh, that's pork right. Butt. Yeah. Pork we, butt. So we fed, uh, we fed the church that we partnered with. Mm-hmm. So we uh, did about 40 pounds of uh, pork butt, which by the time you're done, you end up with about 20 pounds. So, but, uh, so oh, I, and the mac and cheese, yeah. mm, crispy was, edges in the that pan. That was pretty epic, yeah. Uh, French toast, that, oh, that was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really good. Yeah. I'm not a huge French toast guy. There were several things that, like, I'm like, I'm not a huge, insert the food here, That's guy. Right. And then when I tried it, I'm like, okay, I'm fine, I'm yeah. fine. So, I'm going to, I mean. <laughs> but this isn't normally, like, when you talk about a mission trip, how many times do you launch chicken out and, rice. and spend, <laughs> yeah, right, you spend the first Five minutes talking about food. This was, I think, it was uh, uh, the Harold who said we are, we are ruining these people. (laughs) (laughs) It just means introducing them. Everyone's gonna be asking you to go on their mission trips for now. Well, that was my plan, (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't have to paint anything. That's true. Or clean anything. I cleaned some dishes, but whatever. So that raises a good question. I'll ask you, Jared, what are we doing in Atlanta? I mean, we didn't paint any buildings. No. We didn't. No. Uh, what, what, what have we been doing here? Um, I, so, we gave a, a blank check to M28 in, in, in terms of our, our feet, our energy. Uh, you know, we kind of ditched our Spotswood Baptist identity, our church identity in Fredericksburg, and we became, uh, the students called, we became M28ers, right? So, we memorized where they were at in the city and used like directional language. It wasn't just an address, right? Like we said, "Hey, we're on the corner of 18th and Spring, right across from the green-looking Muppet Building," and uh, and people knew what that was. So yeah. we became M28ers, and um, as a former church planter, like I had, I had plenty of churches who came in and said, "Like this is the agenda. This is what we do," uh, and 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 it's really so there's some empathy involved in saying like, I understand what it's like 
to be on that side of this is their city mm-hmm. and and they know it better than we will ever know it in a week or two weeks um, so we just kind of come with a blank check some sometimes like put us to work and Vince and I were just talking right that that we can handle the logistics of kind of bringing Fredericksburg life with us and there's a little bit of like we're smuggling that up here mm-hmm. um, for our students right that we smuggle the life that they had in Fredericksburg here and then the surprising fact is it comes out like oh my goodness like missional living and being a Christian isn't some special formula or special sauce that only happens when I'm in a certain environment that, that we we take great care because it's the only thing we can control on a mission trip of where we live while we're in the city and where we're at in the city and all those kinds of things so yeah we were we were talking about uh, like replicating this like not just not just here in Atlanta but in other cities and and discussing you know you you make a list of everything that was fantastic about this trip and it's not really a spiritual list right it's it's a, it's about the time we spent around the dinner table and the time we spent we had a conversation about our downtime i'm doing the quote fingers okay the downtime because and and very similarly to a uh of conference right that I go to I told him I go to six or seven conferences a year mm-hmm. everything happens outside of the of the breakout sessions right same thing on this right we call it downtime but if you watch there was nothing down about it right mm-hmm. the, that's when everybody was was unpacking their experiences of the day mm-hmm. they were they were bonding because not everybody who came on this trip they don't hang out every day mm-hmm. right but they were bonding and becoming a, a, a a, a unit, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then you look at all of those things that that happen, and that's what you. So it really doesn't matter what city you go to, because yeah. mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to replicate. Because, yeah. and I pointed at Jared and I said, because at the end of the day, your job is to impact their lives, mm-hmm. and then they go out and impact whatever community they're in. Yeah. So it's a kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Like you ask. What did we want to do here? Well, we wanted to help M28. Right. But the big goal is, you know, that what if of what if we helped our students fall in love with this city? Mm-hmm. What kind of long-term life-changing trajectory could that have? You know, and, and we're talking about changing the block, though. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, when you're young and in your 20s, it's really easy to, right, you want to change the world. And, and then you recognize that even when you come to a city on a mission trip, like, we want to reach Atlanta. But, geez, well, M28, every church in Atlanta, yeah. Passion, North Point, you know, uh, Blueprint, like, all these churches are banding together for the kingdom, mm-hmm. yet they all own a little interesting and specific block that is is their target. And, so, and not from a demographic standpoint, but, like, located in the city, which is just really special. So you were outside the room, but earlier, um, one of our guys, he says... How do you, so how do you go out and change the culture? You know, you're saying they want to go out and change the world. Same thing, right? How do you go out and change the culture? And I said, well, you can't do it with a striped shirt and a whistle. You, you have to actually go out in the field. You have to be the change, right? You yeah. have to go out and do it. You yeah. have to go, you have to go, you have to go to your neighbor and invite him over, right? Yeah. Which we yeah. saw. Yeah. yeah. So I think that one of the most unique things about this trip, Jared and I were having this conversation, is that if you looked at the itinerary that we gave everyone, <laughs> you're thinking, okay, great, we have like four hours planned every day, yep. but that's like a lot of extra time for us to do whatever we want. 
Um, and I think that that's something that I've taken away from this trip is that with future mission trips, you don't need to plan what someone does from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Because I think if you do that... Not with this age. Not with this age at all. Crank it down to high school, middle school, obviously. You got yeah, you, there has time. to be some structure. But I think that what the advantage of this trip is we're learning not just how to be on a mission trip, quote-unquote, right, air quotes, but we're learning how to live missionally. And so mm-hmm. a perfect example is, uh, so we were we were driving from one side of town to the other just for something fun, and we call an Uber. And while we're sitting in the Uber, people don't sit there and think, okay, great, we're just going from location A to B, but they're thinking, okay, there's a driver here, his story matters, mm-hmm. his heart matters, and God loves this person. So we're sitting there going, okay, well, how can we... Uh, take advantage of being in a car ride for 15 minutes in Atlanta um, with this guy. And so we just start asking questions. Like, okay, like, what's your story? How did you start doing an Uber? How did you? And then it ends up leading to, okay, is there anything we can pray for you about? And then the Uber driver going, yeah, I'm actually, I have cancer right now. and I'm in, rem- yeah. I'm in remission. Um, and so, like, that that, that, that was a downtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that wasn't planned. Right. That was just missional living. That yep. was just, I'm going from A to B, and I want to, I want to, Talk to people, right? And I think that's what uh, one of our girls meant when she said, "This is that you. You just said it, right? This experience for her was different than any other trip, and she's not afraid to go back home. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because um, the implication is because this really felt like something that she can continue. Like this yeah. was a this was missional living. Like yeah. you're saying, yeah. And it and I guess the irony is that it does it actually is is. We experienced a lot of discomfort, you know, a lot of uncomfortability. And, uh, you know, I always say that with a sliding scale, you know, everyone experiences loss differently, right? And so when you start defining loss for each individual person, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, the worst loss I ever had was, was a bad haircut, you know, one time. And, and then, you know, you get an Uber driver. And there was an Uber driver I took uh, later, earlier this week, and, and he was from Venezuela. And he drives for Uber, but he his his wife was the target of a political assassination. Oh, you can't make this stuff up. Wow. And and there I am thinking like, I guess the challenge was, well, why am I not having these conversations at my, at my home? Because this yeah. stuff just doesn't happen in Atlanta, right? <laughs> right. It yeah. happens. Right. Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, so that was the interesting thing is that you're right. Like a lot of the downtime that we planned ended up being maybe some of the most. I don't even want to say productive. It was, it was, it created a space in which, like, we could connect what we were thinking about on the planned side yeah. with, well, what if we just took that mindset? And I think that's what we kind of arrived at, right? That, that when we talk about changing the block, your, your mindset is so much more important than going on a trip and somehow changing the world. Yeah. Um, and I guess the irony and maybe the, the, the great thing that I think we all experience in some case is that, you know, you, it's, it's a life, it's not a trip. And when you get that, mm-hmm. you go on a trip. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's a completely yeah. different type of yeah. adventure. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's what Jesus says when he talks to Nicodemus, right? The, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. Mm. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit, right? And, and he's talking about how people come into the kingdom, but I would venture to say you look at Jesus' life, that's also how you continue. That the Spirit moves us to places that we never thought we would go. And oftentimes, again, like, it may, it may just be by inviting your neighbor over for dinner. Yeah. Um, that's That can be a trip in and of itself. So when I was, right before we left for this trip, so this is the end of the trip. I mean, we're, we're yeah. like almost a weekend. And I was sitting here thinking, I'd love to like talk uh, on the podcast about this trip because we're, we're going to Atlanta. Uh, the title of our trip was Move Atlanta. We want to move it. Uh, 
And so I was thinking, what, what conversations do we have about the podcast? Uh, and Jared, you said a statement that I thought was so good. You said that that empathy, that exposure creates empathy. Mm. Right? It's like one of the reasons we're going on this trip is that we want the students to see Atlanta, to genuinely see it, so they can be empathetic towards it. So, like, can you talk about that idea for a second? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, well, I probably should say where I got it from first. Um, got to give it credit. Yeah, no copyright. I, yeah, got to get some credit. Um, Dude, it, he didn't do that when he just said it to you. But now that it's going live, he's got it. Well, to tell you what, when, when he said, hey, let's go on the podcast and talk about it, I'm like, I've heard that from somewhere. I should I should go and find out where. Um, every idea is, is from somebody else, right? Um but it was from a book I read. Uh, it's called "To Shake the Sleeping Self" um, by Jedediah Jenkins, and uh, it's it's a it's a road trip memoir um, where he bikes from Oregon to Patagonia, and we share similar backgrounds. Um, we're a similar age, but we also have completely different lifestyles, um, from economic to sexuality to all across the spectrum. And and it was funny because he the way he writes. He, that was from his perspective. He said, I believe exposure creates empathy. And yet, as a reader, he was taking me on that journey. Yeah. Right? They're like, I've never met him. But the way that he was able to write about his journey, there, I was. I put the book down. I'm like, man, I'm way more empathetic to you know all of these certain things that he discussed and talked about in the book. Mm-hmm. And, and I've just found that to be true. Like, it's just a very, very accurate statement. Um, and I think we see the fullest expression of that in Jesus, right? That, like, it, it's one thing for God to say, I'm going to solve the problem of sin without getting dirty. Um, it's another f- for thing for us to see that, like, for God, he exposed himself in the truest sense to sin. And so with the author of Hebrews, we can say that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize, yeah. who's able to empathize, because our God got dirty, our God suffered. Um, so I think there's, like, a, a very deep theological underpinning there that, that Jedediah, you know, got completely right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think for us here, in whatever block you end up being on, um, how easy it is to avoid exposure, mm-hmm. mainly because exposure kind of breaks the, the bubble or the narrative. You know, our minds are, are meaning-making machines, mm-hmm. and, and we all, our minds are always trying to create connections even where no connections exist. And so you can, you can go throughout your whole entire life thinking that your world is ordered and neat and perfect mm-hmm. um, because actually it's not even the external media that may be doing that. I know we just talked about that, but, like, our, our minds are also functioning that way to try to make order out of chaos um and so there's a real danger if we're not exposing ourselves to other people and other points of view that not only will we not understand um maybe our own point of view Mm -hmm. uh and be able to address that but then we also lack love right and so if you if if you're right without love you're wrong Mm -hmm. and and that's something that i think that statement like it's like it's an action statement like how Mm -hmm. do i expose myself to others around me yeah. in, in a way that's like, I know what's going on. I know what it's like. like I, I, I struggled with that mm-hmm. with, with my Venezuelan Uber driver. Yeah. I'm like, what do I say next? Mm-hmm. You, wait, like, what, what do I literally say? There were so many things I wanted to say. Like, I, I didn't know. Do you feel welcome here? Yeah. But who, who, who's telling me that I should say it? Maybe Twitter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to, what to do next. Yeah. Um, so, so let me ask Vince you this, because we're talking about like exposure creates empathy. Um, you're, you spent a lot of time cooking for us. Um, and so, like, if, if you were talking to, to someone who's listening to this podcast and they say, I want to get to know my block better, in essence, I want to get to know my neighbors better, what can they do to get to know their neighbors better? Like, what, I mean, we're talking about your, 
cooking for us, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> what does it look like to get to know your neighbor? So for me, it was much more about serving the students or the, 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 um, the young people that are on the trip and serving the leaders, you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was, that, was my, that was my role, right? Yeah. And so uh, you, for, for the time that we were here, you're, the, you're my neighbors, right? Because yeah. we all don't hang out. Right, mm-hmm. we know each other when we see each other at, at church or whatever, but but we don't hang out. So this was my it was it was within the the house and it was within the, the context table. of the dinner table or the yeah. breakfast table mm-hmm. or lunch or whatever. But I got to spend sometimes it was prepping, mm-hmm. sometimes it was cleaning, but I got to spend time with every single person in this house mm-hmm. um, and and have conversations and yeah. and yeah. So I mean, for me. It was uh, micro, yeah. right? Not yeah. macro, but it was micro. Yeah, but you modeled something so well. You, you taught people, hey, the dinner table matters, and empathy can grow at the dinner table, so that tonight at our last dinner, we decided we would eat outside. It was a nice night, and we're having sh- shrimp and grits outside, and one of the students uh, just says, hey, I think we should invite the neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Which, okay, context, we don't know them. Like, yeah. when we say we don't know them, we're in an yeah. Airbnb on yeah. a random street. Yeah. And they just sat there and went, hey, can we just go invite the neighbors to dinner tonight? Because what that what that does is we're exposing ourselves I think to it, the needs I, I think at that point, Jared was ready to, like, clean everything, pack the bags. Yeah, like, so that's it. We've, yeah. <laughs> we've accomplished. If, we, so, if, we've, if we've gotten one of, the, one of the young people to the point where that's their heart, yeah. We're done. Yeah. We're not done. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah. Because like we, we, we still had to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Those grits are only good for three minutes, man. They ain't eating themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Jared, what does that moment mean, right? Yeah. Like, what does it yeah. mean when college students decide, I want to leverage my dinner table to get to know my neighbor? Because uh, if we're talking about changing the block, you can't change the block if you don't know the issues on your block. Right. I mean, so what does that, what does that moment mean for you as the college pastor? I mean, I, I think it represents everything that drove me to work and serve and advocate for 20-somethings to begin with. Um, because, let me tell you, the, the heart of that is one thing. But off, offering that from a position that I know, like, as a young 20-something, you don't, you don't have a home to invite people into, right? But if, 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 if we're getting that now, mm-hmm. like, if, it, if in your early 20s you're, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have this stuff yet mm-hmm. I don't have it and you know whether it's your apartment or whatever like you know maybe you, you say because it's a good size Airbnb we have it can accommodate people yeah but to say like when I when or if I have a, a, a dinner table to invite someone over I mean it's that's the question and and that's that you know you can communicate theological theological truths all day long but at some point that's nah, I didn't do that yeah you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. That but wasn't the application caught, of your last it. sermon. No, no, at all. <laughs> yeah, at all. No, there no was, that was caught. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was nothing that 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 you, I, or any of us like did or communicated. It was just like the Holy Spirit through all of these moments this week, built up to this moment of you know, well, what if? Mm-hmm. Like, and we used we used food and we used meal time as a way to illustrate community. Yeah, and and I think. It's an easy transition to make that uh, why can't we fold in the, the person who lives next door or the person who lives down the block, mm-hmm. right? Because 
it's, it's just been a fantastic experience. Everybody yeah. sitting around who really doesn't know each other very well, but getting to know getting to know everybody really well yeah. uh, by sharing the meal. Yeah. So uh, this past uh, week, we decided at Spotswood to stir up as much controversy as possible. So we did a town hall called <laughs> "How Does the Gospel Impact Politics?" Yeah. Politics? <laughs> Did politics. you say politics? I did say what? politics. This is only episode two of this podcast. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. We're not going to get into the political <laughs> realm right up. now. But a statement that was made that I think I've been thinking about a lot this week is this idea that the further away I am from a problem, the easier the solution seems. Mm. Like if, if I'm not yeah. close to my neighbor and I hear my neighbor doesn't have enough money to make the bills, I'm sitting here thinking, get a better job. I'm sitting here thinking, like, why do you not have money? You're so cold. (laughs) I'm yes, but but if I know my neighbor and they come over and they tell tell, hey, I I have I have a lot of medical debt because I've been trying to help my mom cover her cancer costs and I've been working two jobs and all of a sudden, the closer I get to an issue, the more complex the solution seems, right? Like, so when we're talking about how exposure creates empathy. The next thing that it also creates is there are multiple nuances needed for a lot of problems, mm. right? So, like, so let me ask this. This is for all of us. Like, how has your heart grown in this week? Like, mm. as we're talking about empathy, is there, like, a, an, a topic, a conversation, or anything where you go, you know what? Like, I feel more empathetic towards this person right now or mm. towards this group of people or whatever because I've gotten to know someone. Um, so, like, I- I'll just throw out yeah. the immediate thing that I'm thinking about. Uh, we were at the park one day, and we were we just held up a sign, and it said, we're new to Atlanta, what should we do? And people just kept coming up to us saying, like, here are some of my favorite things to do in Atlanta. And one of the guys said, like, why, why are you here? And I'm like, well, we're helping a church plant. And he said, can I, can I just stop and say, it's really good to see white people in the park. What do you mean by that? He said, I've been here for like 40 years. And he said, 40 years ago, a white person never would have walked into this park. Mm. He said, but in the past 20 years, I've seen this community really embrace diversity. And and I've seen it really grab a hold of what does it look like to love my neighbor who doesn't look like, act mm-hmm. like me. Um, and so I'm sitting here thinking, wow, there was... There's a man who's really watched his city change a lot in the past 50 years. Mm. Um, and and that, that led to some really good conversations of what does it look like um, for someone to, to, to just say that, that race really divided the city for a long time. Yeah, I, mean, right. this is act, like, I mean, this is where Martin Luther King Jr. grew up. Yeah. Most of the people yeah. here actually went to his house, right? So like, right. all that to say, like, so my, my heart kind of grew there. Yeah. Right. For him to say, "I'm glad you're here." That that was just a really my heart grew there. Right. Yeah. So, it, was there any situations where you thought, "I think my heart kind of grew there"? Mm. That's, that's a that's a really good question. I maybe it's just I just I just go back to my Venezuelan Uber driver, and I found myself unprepared to to communicate with him as a human being because everything about his his story seemed like a, a talking point. Mm. He represented an immigrant. Uh, he represented someone, I mean, like, like almost typecast as like, this is the family that is running to the border. Right. Yeah. And, and here's a man who's, I mean, literally a doctor, okay? He's a dentist. And <laughs> an Uber driver. And an Uber driver, right? <laughs> so it's like, All um, the time. 
I, I think if you're asking, like, my heart grew in that moment out of, out of really a posture of, like, man, I, I, I'm not prepared for this. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's part of the, and not the solution, but the journey that you go on in exposure and getting to know your neighbors is you, you quickly find out where, first off, you failed. I think maybe there's an aspect of, like, being willing to repent as you re-engage your neighbors. Uh, there are things that I thought or didn't think of, right? Like, uh, to, to how, how do you engage with someone as a human being? I think there's part of that was just asking honest questions. Like, rather than making statements, yeah. just saying, like, well, tell me what's been hard for you about being here. Instead of assuming, you know, you know that, that it's hard. Yeah. Um, to, to give them the dignity enough to tell their story. Yeah. Um, and, and so th- I think there's that. There's that aspect of repentance. But then, like, the guy in the park for 40 years, I think there's another aspect of, like, of, of commitment, right? Of, of saying, okay, I've heard your story, and in response, I need to repent. Or I, I, you know, I'm offering myself up. Mm-hmm. And then also saying, like, based on that, that exchange and, and that, that mutual love, like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and maybe that's part of, like, our... our being here that's kind of difficult and also great because you know our partnership is with M28 is with a church who's here constantly and yeah. so um, you know but there's I think there's a part of a little, little bit of sadness right of like seeing what God's doing in this city and knowing he's doing something in Fredericksburg um, and yet also saying like you know how did this mission trip go right you know, yeah. ask ask us in 30 years and we'll find out yeah, um, yeah. so I don't so, know another I think this is just the theme that the overall group has felt um, while we've been in the park sharing stories about uh, about Jesus, about who we believe He is, about what He's done in our lives, um, we came across a lot of people who who immediately wanted to say, "Okay, you're a Christian. Okay, well, what is, what are your beliefs on same-sex marriage?" I mean, that question has come up four times, and I'm not trying to get to 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 any controversy there or, or whatever. But but one of the two two women came up to one of our students. And, and when they heard, when the two women heard that we were Christians, they said, can I just ask you one thing? I'm like, yeah, what's that? They said, please don't hate us. Please don't hate us. And the fact that that even needed to be communicated. Right. Like, yeah. like that yeah. is so sad to me. Yeah. That Christians... People who know every single person is made in the image of God, no matter what they do, no matter what they believe, no matter how they act, that someone would need to come up to someone and say, oh, you're a Christian? Please stop hating me. Right. <laughs> like, what is that? I mean, I mean, God says you cannot love me and hate your brother or sister. Like, you, and so I think that, imp- like, in that moment, there wasn't a theology conversation. Mm. There was just empathy. There was just, I don't hate you. Can I just hug you? Like, that's, that's what this exposure-creating empathy looks like. It looks like, I'm sorry that, that, that that's been your experience. Can, can I try to, to overcome that in some ways? Yeah. Right? So, so yeah. It's crazy because the, the, the message of, of the gospel, the message of Christianity, um, you know, when you're in a company, it, you, you have a marketing department they're responsible for messaging and everybody falls in line right yeah. and they and they just tow the party line yep right but in christianity everybody
everybody gets to do their own thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so you, you have a uh, extremely flawed application of a perfect plan. Yeah. And that's what you end up with. People, uh, people who think uh, we hate them. Yeah. Because, you know, somebody screwed up along the way and, 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 and expressed something other than love to somebody who isn't like them and doesn't believe the same thing that they believe. And, yeah. you know. I, I think that just phrases Christians need to have thick skin yeah. in moments like this because mm. someone might walk up to you and say, you're a Christian? Okay, that means that you hate me. And you're like, no, I don't. And like, Let me tell you why you hate me. And they start getting mad and angry <laughs> at you. And you're like, I didn't do any of that. Like, right. I, I'm not responsible individually for any of that. But you got to recognize that your name, Christian, is yeah. attached to other names that have done harm to them. Right. And so you got to say, hey, I'm going to let you yell at me. I'm going to let you be mad at me. And I'm going to stay here calmly until we can we can hug, right? And that might take time. Yeah, like, yeah. that might take yeah, tears. Yeah. That might take you screaming at me. But, like, I want you to know I'm in it for the long haul. But it's a fantastic opportunity to kind of unpack a little bit of... Uh, some baggage that somebody else heaped on that person, right? Yep. Uh, just a, a great opportunity. It is. It is. So, so you made a statement just a second ago, Jared, that I want to get back to. Uh, so you met with a local church pastor this yes. week. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and you, the first question, um, one of the first questions you asked him was, how was your service right. on Sunday? Right, And just tell us his answer. Yeah. Tell us how that impacts even changing the block. Right. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. a really good conversation. And and so, I, you know, I'm just trying to make conversations that, conversation with him and I asked you know how is services and, and his response was ask me in 30 years in the back of my mind I'm thinking all right I've stolen that made mine <laughs> you know like that's such a great response and uh and it it really set the tone for the whole conversation you know um I knew that I was talking to someone who like was very just comfortable in the fact that Sunday worship for him was not a a product to be controlled uh or, or, or um, measured with metrics that uh, we, we so often associate with Sunday morning church. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it told me that his goal uh, for change and changing the block, right, was like a, a long-term program, uh, a, a long-term view in mind. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me think of the current landscape of Christianity and American Christianity. And, you know, we've seen... A lot of a lot of deconstruction happening, and maybe that's another conversation for another time, because um, I like the term accommodation, not just deconstruction. But we'll go back to another podcast. Yeah, for that. you're coming back, so we'll go there. Um, but I, I I think there's this there's this really helpful posture of long suffering churches to not close the door on tomorrow's prodigal. And, and how important that is. Like, if, if we're saying exposure creates empathy, it means that we're not just willing to maybe get to know people who are on the other side of the kingdom of Jesus, but also people who are maybe have identified or are on that side of, of the Christian world and, and the kingdom of Jesus from a spiritual perspective and saying, even if you're, seems like you're walking away, right? Like, I just think of his, his, his demeanor. I mean, it wasn't just what he said, it was how he said it. And that's what, you know, that's what my dad always has told me. You know, it's not what you say, it's how you, and, and the way that he said it, it, was just, it just projected a confidence of, you know, I, I'm going to, God, God comes after people. 
And if it takes 30 years, he's going to come after him. And if it takes 30, I'm going to be, we're going to be the church in Atlanta for, for that person to play the long haul with. And so much of the way perhaps we envision church in America mm-hmm. is driven by a, you know, a immediate, a microwave metric, you know. And, and I sit down with the pastor and like just the refreshing nature of 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Neil. I'm the only guy in the group that's not uh, pursuing professionally, so to yeah. speak, ministry. Right. So yeah. it begs the question, how do you how do you measure success, right? Is, is, is the success of this whole trip, all the time, energy, and finance that went into this trip, the fact that you have uh, a, a, a couple of a couple of the, the young people on the trip wanted to go invite the neighbors to dinner? Is that it? Is that the sum total? Mm. How do you measure success? How does how does the pastor that you had coffee with, if you're not focused on, uh, at some level, um, seeing an increase in the number of people who are coming through your door, mm-hmm. how do you measure success? You know, that's a When re- do you know... That's you a really good question. And you go, yeah. and, you, and God's leading you somewhere. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. How do you I, know that? I think, I think part of the answer is is keeping both doors open, right? That like churches tend to close their back door, and then and then we get really big. And it reminds me of something that uh, JD Greer said, right? That we we don't measure a church by its seating capacity, but its sending capacity, right? And so I think if, if the church is really taking this exposure, creates empathy, and changing their block seriously, it actually means that we're committed to and measuring success by by keeping those doors open, right? Like, that, that we say, hey, anyone who, who comes to Atlanta with us, we want you here. You know, I mean, I, I, went, I went headhunting for a couple of our students to come. Right. And, and there's, that's the whole other side, right, of, like, how, how do you – Reserve as a pastor, saying, "Look, like I, there are people that I, I want to. This is an eternal, this is an eternal potential here to change someone's trajectory over the course of five days. I believe God's big enough to do that. Yeah. And so the the sacrifices or the scholarships or the head hunting of like, I mean, we had we literally had leaders saying, "I want to pay for someone full time to go to the trip." I didn't ask him. Huh. And so to be able to say, "We're keeping that front door open. Anyone who wants to come can come," and then also keeping that back door open of. Don't stay in the college ministry at Spotswood. Come back to Atlanta. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's a metric of success where it's like it's not about keeping people in the seats. I mean, I've heard church planners talk about, you know what, like you should be planning your own church by 200, 200 people. <laughs> you know, and like intentionally capping it. Like if we ever, you know, what would it look like if the church, if the church started to say, like if we ever hit 300 people, you know, that was telling us it's time to plan another church or it's time to send more people out. Yeah. That kind of self-limiting, um, I'll go, you know, I'll say, this is my opinion, but that kind of self-limiting to me just kind of screams Jesus, mm-hmm. who limited himself to time and space and confines of a human body. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question, and and it probably speaks to like how, how much of the reality of a business financial mm-hmm. tax tax break five hundred one c three that many churches in America are. No, I, I think at some uh, at some <coughs> level, the answer lies within obedience. Mm-hmm. Right, but again, yeah. that doesn't keep the lights on, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're we're very quickly approaching that conversation of what what cultural moorings, what political moorings, does the church tie itself to that might be quickly expiring 
uh-huh. in our current landscape. And if we were to look at those, what would we say we maybe needed to ditch in order to adapt and survive? Because um, you're right. Like, that's that's the huge tension, right? I mean, I, I, the, one of the greatest hindrances to missionaries leaving America, uh, I should say disciples who are living life on mission, right? I think it's the words are important. Yeah. Disciples who want to live life on mission in a cross-cultural context in another country, maybe the number one hindrance to them going is death. Yeah. Right? It's finances. There are so many things that maybe churches want to do that they're hindered be- because of debt, mm-hmm. um, because of finances. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's a whole other conversation. Well, I think, I th- look, we're talking about changing the bar. Yeah. But, and we've said earlier on, uh, I was, when I was talking to one of the guys on the trip, it's, it starts with you. Yeah. yeah. Right? The church wants to change the bar. It starts with the church, right? Yeah. And, and, and then everything echoes out. Here, so we're talking about success. What does it look like to change the block, right? Like as, as we wrap up. Um, I think, man, first of all, what is success? Success isn't getting a hashtag to trend nationwide for a week, yeah. right? You sure? I, I, just, I mean, it'd be cool. It would be cool. If all of you want to start hashtag change the block, get this podcast a bunch of viewers. I mean, I'm there for it. That's the, that's like, the subscribe, share. <laughs> like yeah. subscribe, share. Like, subscribe, share. There you go. I like it. Little but, capitalism. <laughs> America. But the the question is longevity, right? Yep. So, yeah. like, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm 22 years old, and at this point, I'm no longer impressed by the 30-year-old leader who's had a really good 10-year run. I'm impressed by the 85-year-old leader who's finished well. Yeah. So if we're talking about one of my heroes, I, I just have to share this. I, I never met this lady, but I was, I was speaking at a church um, that was turning 125 years old, which, first of all, is very impressive. Because yeah. if we're talking about n- most churches in America at this point, we're talking about churches that are under 10 years old. They're new. Because all the older churches have died. And so I was going to this older church, and I, I just started researching some of the, the church members. I came across the story of Mrs. Pickrell. So she was uh, a woman who had been in the church since birth, practically. And when she was 90 years old and living on her own, she decided, I can't drive to church anymore, so I'm going to walk. So she started walking to church with her cane, and people would see her on the side of the road, pick her up, and drive her there, Right? Well, well, then she ends up reaching the age where she used to sit in the chair, the same chair every day and read her Bible. And then she had to get glasses because her eyes started failing her. And then glasses stopped working for her to read her Bible. So she went out, which she probably didn't go out. She probably got someone else to do it. And she bought a magnifying glass. Mm. And every single day she sat in that same chair and read the Bible with her magnifying glass. And I was more impressed by that than the person who has... 100,000 followers on Twitter because she finished well, mm. right? Like, she finished faithfully. Uh, and we live in a culture right now, in a Christian celebrity culture, that and we have leaders who had a huge following, and now they're saying, I'm not even a Christian today. Right. Um, yeah. And so if we're talking about what does it look like to change the block, what does it look like to have success, it doesn't just look like putting paint on a house, and it doesn't just look like the exterior looks good for a couple years. Yeah. But if we want to change the block, what it looks like is when I have grandkids, this block is better because mm. it's something that happened 50 years ago. Yeah. Like we want longevity change, not just immediate temporal change. Yeah. Um, and so this thing takes time, right? Like it might mean I got to put roots down and stay in a community for a while. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a part of changing the block. And so when we talk about what's it look like to be successful I think we need to stop saying, what does success look like tomorrow? 
but what does success look like when I have grandkids? Mm, like, yeah. will my legacy last that long? Yeah. I, I just that's, that's a really hard boat to steer. You could be miles off course and not know it. Yep. Right? You see what I'm saying? Because yep. you're, you're waiting to figure out if you've, you know, quote unquote, reached your destination, yep. been successful in the path that you've chosen for your ministry. Uh, you're waiting 10 years, 15 yep. years. And uh, I mean, there's got to be road signs along the way, you know, if you if you're going if you're not. I mean, the pastor saying, "How was your service on Sunday?" He says, "Ask me again in 30 years." Yeah. What that says to me is, this is a man who's humble. Absolutely. He doesn't just look at look at the size of his church and say, "I'm successful because 500 people are showing up to my church on Sunday morning." Yeah. He's saying, "We'll see how successful I am in the long run." No, but success would be I've got. I've only got 30 people showing up on Sunday morning, but on Monday afternoon, 15 of them are in the park handing out watermelon, and on Wednesday afternoon, uh, 10 of them I know are meeting in a ho- in home for a Bible study, and on Thursday, you know, so yeah. on and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah, so you've true. got you've got an active 50 person yep. congregation. Oh my gosh! That is changing their block. There, there are mega churches. 200. Or 300 people that have shown up on Sunday, yep. hitting the buffet Sunday afternoon, there, and then yep. back to the grind. There are mega churches that would love 50 volunteers who are bought into their vision. Right. Yeah. They'd love it. Yep. Right. Yep. So, any final thoughts from the both of you about changing the block, about empathy, exposure, success? I, I mean, the, the I think the last thing I would say, uh, a good friend made this statement to me, and he prefaced it by saying, this isn't in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so I should say, this isn't in the so Bible. So I'm going to ignore everything you say from now on. <laughs> from this point um, But I think, I, again, it, it's it's true in the sense that I think it describes the type of commitment a Christian makes. Uh, is that the wise man chooses the destination and embraces the path. And the fool chooses the path and, and embraces the des- It gets the destination, right? So, like, when you pick where you're going, you, you've, by consequence, selected the path. But the path is the path. You, you're going to where you're going. But a fool would say, "Well, this path looks this this looks nice. Doesn't quite know where it's headed, but this this looks nice." Yeah. And and I I think we see saints all throughout Scripture, like Jacob wrestling with God, like, "No, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me." Like this this idea of I have made my decision to follow you. Um, and you know the Book of Wisdom, Proverbs, talks about trust in the Lord, and He'll level your paths. Yeah. So like when it comes to saying, "Okay, I want to change the block," and and I want to I want to create empathy and, and, and live an empathetic life and I know I need to do that by exposing and living my life mm-hmm. in a way that is is making sure that I'm, I'm hearing from all sorts of people in all different walks of life I mean let's be real that's that's a sacrifice that's that's a cost yeah and and I think not being afraid of what that cost looks like is just so important and I think it's what we've seen here right where because that, that cost and courage are so related and so it, it will take courage to change your block. It will take courage to seek empathy because it often finds out, oh, this is where my blind spots are. It takes courage to do all that. Yeah. And this is what I've loved about this trip is I think that here, the courage that they've displayed in those planned times and even those unplanned times, they know that they have a community that they can come back to, mm-hmm. that they can take their weak, exhausted frames of like, man, it was hard. I had people who just straight up looked at me and kept on walking. Mm-hmm. Or like, I had a really difficult conversation with someone and I just, they knew that at the end of the day, they had a safe community that they could come back to and number one, be weak around. 
and say, man, I've blown it, or man, I, I, you know, like God did something incredible today, celebrate that together. It's just a picture of how the church, I think, is supposed to function. Yeah. That as we're doing all this work of trying to change our block by creating empathy, that behind all that, God has given us the church, his body in the world, to, to instill us with courage because it's a community of just a bunch of weak people. <laughs> like, that's the whole scandal of it. You want to change the block? Come be weak. Come be around a bunch of weak people that sit at the table of Jesus. And, and there's some great irony and joy. And we said, right, it's, you don't change the block. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, a trip that you take. It's a life that you live. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I think that that's, that's what I've seen this week at Atlanta that I just loved. There's a bunch of students who took the destination and said, okay, I'm going to go here no matter what. And they get on the path and they find that it's hard. But then there's a community at our Airbnb here with shrimp and grits that they're able to say, <laughs> you know what, no matter how hard it gets, at the end of the day, I have a family, a community I can come back to. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, think I that's, think one that's of the, one, really important. Yeah, and one of the things I loved is is, uh, is this evening at dinner where everybody, you know, it kind of more organically, I mean, Harold kind of got it going, but then it just took off, right? Yeah. Everybody was, because everybody was praising or encouraging, rather, somebody else very specifically, Yep. right, about... Well, man, when you did this, you know, or when you did that, it was, you know, not this generic. It was very specific. That was really, really awesome. You know, there are a lot of very well-meaning people within the church today who spend their own time uh, thinking about what what's the next program, what's the next plan, mm. what's the next schedule, or what's the next agenda yeah. that we can that we can adopt. To help help our brothers and sisters grow more like Jesus and grow, and and so I've I've watched the a lot of these uh, young people, and I've gone on many trips with these young people, and 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 they go and and we didn't paint anything like I said earlier, yeah. you know, yeah. there was no skits, there was no <laughs> language barrier, there was yeah. there was none of that, but what was really cool is is uh, this was so simple, mm-hmm. like they they learned that an Uber ride is a gospel opportunity. Right. And they may have heard that, like they knew it, but mm-hmm. they got to live it, right? Yeah. And 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 all of, all those different simple interactions that they had throughout the week, um, they they can translate back, right? They yeah. can go back home and they can and that's why I think that the one girl, she's like I'm not uh, you know, all these other trips I went on, I they were such a spiritual high. I was afraid to go back home. Mm. And I'm not afraid to go back home. Yeah, because this is probably one of the most easily replicable lifestyles of a, of a mission trip that they've ever been on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, final thing I'll say, uh, just to wrap things up, is uh, we told you some of the highlights of the week, right? Um, but there's also some awkward moments. There's also times where yep. uh, you're talking to your Uber driver, and, and he this happened this week where he looks at you and says, what is this, 50 questions? <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm trying to expose myself uh, to you I to would, create I, empathy. I'd change that sentence. <laughs> you're right. I'm not trying to expose myself to you. Oh, gosh. But you get what I'm like. I'm, I'm trying to get to know you. And I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm trying to be, I'm, yeah, like, and, and I'm being shot down. Yeah. But what happened in that moment is the student did not, did not go, okay, I'm going to stop talking now. Right. But instead, he just kept going. And that's the conversation that led the guy to saying, I have cancer right now and I really need prayer. And so in the midst of you trying to, to 
learn your block and become empathetic towards it, mm-hmm. there's going to be times where you're thinking, I don't think my block wants me to know them. Mm. I don't think that yep. they really want me to be a part of their life. They didn't, I mean, so we invited the neighbors over for dinner, and they didn't come yeah. tonight. But what happens is you keep doing that on a regular basis, yep. and there's going to come a night where they show up. So I, I have to interject. I know we're wrapping up. Yep. Uh, we have lived in our house for um, about 15 years. And we, we live in the country. We've only got two neighbors. One of them has been there since uh, before we got there. Their house was built a few months before ours. And the other one, the people who live there now are the third owners, and they've been there about um, six years, I think. <coughs> we have been trying to connect with our neighbors since the day we moved in. So for 15 years, we've been trying to connect with our neighbors. And I don't know what it is, but this year, something clicked. Mm. And we've been getting together with our neighbors now. Mm. Like, ev- like every two months, two and a half months, yep. we all get together. We have a game night. That's awesome. Right? We're, we're completely different, you know, yeah. in every aspect. Right? Yep. We have the same street name, and that is it. Yep. But we've been having a fantastic time just getting mm. to know each other. I'm telling you, if you're listening to this and you have any interest in changing your block, <laughs> invite your neighbor over. Yep. Just start right there. Yeah. For 14 years, invite them over until they say yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, we didn't badger hey, them. 15 years is half of 30. So I'm just saying. Oh, I'm just saying. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for How's listening. How's it going with your neighbors? I don't know. Ask me in 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, today was really just about growing your empathy for your neighbors. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day, you cannot change your block if you do not know your block. Mm. And I think that's, that's right. the point of this podcast today. Yeah. Yep. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>